Craig Hoffman. This is a special and different version of the Hoffman Show today. It is special because of the guest and the subject matter. It's different because the guest and the subject matter will be the only thing on today's show. As opposed to your usual hour-ish podcast, it will be this one interview and that's it and that's all. But it is so worth your time uh, having just wrapped up the interview and I'm still kind of have goosebumps to be honest with you. Um, Nancy Lieberman is is who I'm talking to today and who I've talked to and who you'll hear in just a moment. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Nancy Lieberman is, she is arguably the greatest women's basketball player to ever lace up a pair of sneakers. She is certainly on any top five list. Um, her career is most decorated while she was still in college, two-time national champion, two-time player of the year. Um, And the reason it's most decorated while she was in college is not because women's college basketball is more popular than the WNBA. It's because the WNBA long didn't exist yet. Um, And there really wasn't a women's professional league at the time. And that's something that we'll talk about uh, on how she, the prime of her career, was largely spent playing against schmucks like me in the local YMCA. So Nancy, though, is special not just as an athlete, um, but it's, it's just a remarkably special human being. The philanthropy the philanthropy that she does, the um, work in the community, the, the individual impact she can make on your life, certainly the impact she's made on mine. She's just she's just the best. Um, she's the be- she, she represents what is the best of people. And she gets that so clearly from someone who, as she'll tell us, became her hero at a very young age and someone who later in life became a friend. And that is, of course, Muhammad Ali. So, very special podcast um, with a very special person. There's a lot in here. And so, let's get to it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Nancy Lieberman on her hero and friend, Muhammad Ali. Craig Hoffman. Nancy, when did you first become aware of Muhammad Ali? Um, not, not necessarily the first time you met him, but it is, I'm guessing, a young girl, the first time you ever saw him and what you thought of him. I was 10 years old. I'm sitting in my house in Far Rockaway, New York. And on my TV, this black and white TV, there's this man. And he's, it might have been wide world of sports because he's sitting there saying, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest of all time. I beat George Foreman. I, I beat George Foreman like I beat uh, Joe Frazier, like I beat Sonny Liston back in 1964. I am the greatest. I'm the prettiest, nobody can stop. And I was like mesmerized. I'm like, who is this guy? This is amazing. And, you know, I had just gone through so much because, you know, you're 10 years old, you're a little white girl growing up in New York. And I had had so many people say, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I'll never make anything of myself. Why do girls play sports? Why is she always in the schoolyard, you know, with black kids? I was so tired of people telling me what a bad person I was because I played sports. And there was this man saying he was the greatest of all time and he defied the odds. And I just fell in love with him. And anytime I could see him on TV or I would, you know, see him, like I said, on his fights, I would just go nuts over him. Because he became my eyes and he became my vision of what I could be, that I could do anything I wanted 
if I put my mind to it. And, I, you know, I started seeing where, you know, they, uh, you know, he didn't want to get drafted and how they try to, you know, put him in jail. And I was so angry at people for doing this to him. It was, it was really, it was very defining for me to see all this thing, all this stuff happening to this man who all he wanted to do was box and let people respect African-Americans. And he didn't want to fight, you know, people that he felt had nothing to do with him. I mean, it was very powerful stuff. And I walk into the kitchen and my mother's standing there and I just say, I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to be the greatest of all times. And she goes, she goes, why are you talking like that? And I said, I'm going to be, I'm going to knock you out in two rounds. She goes, honey, I'm your mother. I said, one round. And I don't know what I'm going to do to him. And then him was my brother. And I just stood there, put my hands on my hips and said to her, you better get used to me. I'm going to be the greatest of all time. I'm going to make history. And I walked out of the kitchen. I was 10 years old. And I fell in love with this guy. And like I was saying, every time, like, I didn't think I could do something, all I would do is just, man, I would just listen to him. And he fueled everything in me to want to be, to want to be great. So... I never saw him until 1979, and I was going to the Olympic uh, to do an appearance for the Olympic Committee in New York at the Stock Exchange, and he, unbeknownst to me, was the other athlete. Wow. And, and I'm sitting in the room, and I can't breathe. I cannot believe that my hero is in the same room with me. And we had just won our first championship at Old Dominion University. And my mother walks over to him and goes, Mr. Muhammad, it's Rini, Rini Lieberman from Far Rockaway, Queens. And he's probably like, lady, get away from me. And he, she says, my daughter, my daughter Nancy, she's the greatest basketball player of all times. And he goes, listen here, lady, there's only one greatest of all times, and that's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. And I can't believe that I, I go and uh, I walk over to him and he says, come here. And I walk and he uh, looks at me and he goes, your mother says you're, you're a great basketball player or you're a good basketball player. And I look at him and I'm like, um, well, Mr. Muhammad, you know, like I'm good. I'm the greatest of all times. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, there's two of us. And he hugs me, <laughs> and we, he, he just connected with me, and he goes, come back to the, to the Plaza Hotel. And we go to the Plaza, and he's talking to me about, you know, racism. He's talking to me about how black people are viewed. Uh, I, I mean, he was giving me the most incredible education on what was to come ahead, and I mean, I, I didn't really know about all this stuff until Muhammad was really teaching me about life. And um, I'm so grateful. And, you know, at that time, there were no cell phones or Snapchat or texting. You actually had to stay in touch with one another. 
And when I was in college, he stayed in touch with me. And I remember Sports Illustrated did like an 11-page story about me my senior year in uh, college, you know, because I was the college basketball player of the year. Right. And he calls me up and he goes, I just saw this article. I'm so proud of my girl. And he goes, I want to come see you play. I mean, it was, he was unbelievable. And wow. all those years that we stayed in touch with one another, and then, you know, this Parkinson set in, and uh, there were there was some lulls in when we got to see or talk to each other because it was, it was getting a little bit harder because of his situation. And then we reconnected, and we've never looked back. I mean, I've, you know, for the last 20 years, going to his house, spending time with him and Lonnie, uh, doing appearances uh, for him, like, you know, they're like, honey, come to New York with us. Muhammad wants you to emcee an event at Trump International uh, to raise money for Parkinson's. And, you know, just, you know, even me doing this interview and telling you the times that we've been able to spend with each other is, it's ridiculous. It just makes me feel so good to tell you about this friendship that I have with the man that changed my life. And I, I'm just, I'm so grateful. Yeah. I mean, wow. That's, that's amazing. You're going back. I, I can't imagine what you would tell that 10 year old girl now. Just, just wait and, and see how your life plays out. There, there's something specific in his story that I'm curious if you've ever talked to him about. Um, because it's something that's always stuck with me when, when we were, just dribbling basketball. I think it was at lunch at your camp the year that I coached there. And I remember you telling me that the years of your prime were spent playing in lunch run against people like me, as opposed to in a professional league, because there was no women's professional league at the time. Obviously, the circumstances of how he gave up three years of his prime in, in uh, fighting against the U.S. government were very, very different. But I'm just curious if that's something you guys ever talked about, because that, that concept of missing the prime of your athletic career, not being able to maximize the prime of your athletic career is something that you guys shared amongst so much else that you shared. We did, actually, because, you know, the joke, when I would see him, I would always go, Muhammad, I know you're jealous. I've come out of retirement more than you. <laughs> and and Lonnie would sit there and go, wait a minute, he's been waiting to see you all day, and that's the first thing you come with? You know, like when I played in the WNBA at 39, and then when I played at 50. And the moral of that story is, why did I play at 39 and 50? Because I didn't get to have a, a career in totality. And I just wanted to play. And so, you know, you come back because you're coming back to something that you love. And, you know, he loses the prime of his career for a boxer. And, you know, that's why he came back so often. Because... You know, down deep, you know, you don't ever think about father time. You just think, I can do this because we're, we're wired to win. We're wired to think we can beat you if we train hard and take care of our business. It's just who we are as athletes. But, you know, we talked about a lot of things. You know, I mean, I, I remember he used to talk to me about dream killers. And I was like, what's a dream killer? And he goes, it's the people that are your friends, but they're also people around you that are dream killers, like they'll say to them, they'll say to you like, well, 
why are you going to do that now? Um, I don't think this is going to be a good idea for you. You know, like, why are you going to go play in a men's league? Instead of them saying, that's going to be amazing. Like, they want to know what you're doing, but then they tell you, you know, you should really think this over before you do it. And, you know, he was talking to me about, you know, people who are dream killers, and they're right in your midst. Um, uh, you know, we talked for a long time. You know, I had the amazing, uh, it's amazing, like, the people. But I, I was friends with Joe Frazier. Mm-hmm. And Muhammad, Muhammad knew that he, he really hurt Joe with the things that he said. And he didn't do it on purpose. He did it to promote fights. He crossed the line. He knew that. But Joe was such a proud man that he um, he just didn't uh, want to accept Muhammad's apologies. And, you know, like Muhammad would tell me, he goes, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. You know, I, I just I didn't mean to do this. But he just did not want to accept Muhammad's apology. I even talked to, to uh, Marvis Frazier, and he was dad was just too hurt by the things that Muhammad said. Because when Muhammad was exiled, you know where he lived? He lived with Joe Frazier. He drove Joe's cars. He lived in wow. Philly. He, he fought in, in, this is Joe telling me he gave him money. He fought in his gym, and he gave him that fight you know, for Madison Square Garden. And then, you know, he just felt like he he took it too far with the with the attack and calling him a gorilla and you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, those are those are things that, you know, I was really stunned that Joe would share with me and I, I got to talk to Mark uh, you know, to Muhammad about. Wow, that's that's astonishing. Um I think that's an int- that leads to an interesting question. Um, Muhammad Ali's self awareness. Um, he, I think, obviously realized the effect he had on people. Um, is I've read uh, at this point dozens of things on him. Uh, just the power he had. No matter who was in the room, he sh- he just had this vibrant shine that was the brightest. Um, right. but, but that self-awareness of not being perfect and having regrets and being a human being, um, is, is there anything more anecdotally you can share about his self-awareness and his, uh, I guess, normalness as a human being, despite all of us looking at him, wishing that we were, were that. Well, all you have to know is that there's a reason he was called the people's champ. He was the people's champ because he was so connected to the common man and it was just absolutely beautiful to see how he treated people. Um, you know, he would sit on the steps with people and just sit there and talk to them and see how they were doing. And it's really just so positive. He was so, you know, in the ring, he was so, um, confident, and outside the ring, he was so humble, and he was always putting other people first. And I just have such admiration uh, for him. Nancy, I'll wrap with this. Um, I'm curious what your prevailing thought of Muhammad is, and whether it's one of his quotes that he leaves as part of his legacy, whether it's a time shared together, 
just whatever that thought is that you keep coming back to and as, as you'll reflect i'm sure on the flight to louisville for the memorial service or whether it's um the first thing you thought of when you heard that he passed what's that thought that just keeps coming back to your head about your friend and hero what stands out was his philanthropy service to others is the rent you pay for your time here on earth what can i do for you i don't want anything in return Nobody loved being Muhammad Ali more than Muhammad Ali. He loved making people happy because it made him happy about who he was. He knew he was special. Um, he will have sultans, prime ministers, third world country leaders at his funeral um, on Friday. I mean, I, I know that uh, I talked to Billy Crystal yesterday. He told me that Obama's trying to uh, change his schedule to be there as well. I mean, Muhammad was the most visible athlete in the world. I mean, nobody, not Michael Jordan, nobody could walk in a third world country and they know exactly who you are. You know, it's um, unbelievable. Uh, just to think who this guy was and what he meant to people. And when Lonnie texted me, you know, uh, I saw Thursday, there was a thing uh, that said, you know, Ali goes in the hospital. So I always call her and I, I texted her and I said, Ali, is, is Muhammad really in the hospital? And she's never done this in all the years that I've known her. She texted me back. She goes, pray for him. I need you to pray for him. And I got scared. And, you know, Muhammad scripted his whole funeral and everything. And, you know, he told the family that if he was ever on life support, pull the plug. Uh, I, I don't want to be on life support. And so they waited for, you know, all the kids to get there on uh, Thursday. And everybody had a chance to say their final goodbyes. And, and I've talked to Maya and, you know, some of his you know, his family, and everybody was just like, Daddy, we love you. Daddy, you can go now. Dad, God wants you. It's okay, Daddy. We, we, we love you. And everybody had their moment to whisper something in his ear. And I'm sure you've read this, but I think he died. And, and they told me last night, I think he died at like, excuse me, they took him off the respirator at like 8.38 p.m., and he died at 9.15 or 9.14, something like that. I might be telling you stuff that's not in the news. Um, and all his organs shut down and his heart beat for 30 minutes. And the doctor said they had never seen that ever. His heart would not stop beating for over 30 minutes. And they hadn't, like I said, nobody had ever, uh, the doctors were saying in the room that they had never seen anything like that happen. And, uh, and in, in true Muhammad Ali fashion, um, uh, I want to thank the, the San Francisco Giants because they sent their jet to Phoenix to let the Ali family use it the other day uh, to take the body back to Louisville. And <laughs> true to Muhammad Ali, uh, as his daughter told me, can you believe dad had to be the first one off the plane? <laughs> he says, 
we landed in Louisville, and Dad just had to be the first one off the plane, you know. And, uh, you know, they all got a, a, a smile from it. So I'm sad, but how many people live 32 years with Parkinson's? He beat the odds. He beat the odds, and he made so many people happy. And you're talking to a very blessed uh, person just to, to be able to say that he was my friend. Oh, that I mean, what, what's on top of all of um, the amazing things you just you just told me and and anybody listening? I, I think what's amazing is that. Like your story is unique because you reached a place in athletics that very few, if any, have reached and continue to be a trailblazer and, and, and just climb new mountains. But the inspiration that you took from him is so far from unique and that is what made him special. So you continue to, I, I imagine, I mean, I can't speak for the man obviously, but if you're not making him proud, I don't, I don't know who could be. Um, and the impact you've had on my life is, is massive considering the small amount of time that I've known you. So, so thank you for being my friend and one of my heroes and, and thank you for sharing the memories and the thoughts of one of yours. I really appreciate it, Nancy. Thank you so much, Craig. I appreciate you. Craig Hoffman. Just amazing stuff from Nancy Lieberman. Um, if you want more, if you're listening to this on the site, then you, you obviously see this stuff below the podcast. But if you're listening on iTunes, then head over to HoffmanShow.com and I've posted a link to some of my favorite stories that I've read about Muhammad Ali over the past, what is it, only five days. I can't believe it's been only five days. Um, the amount of stuff that I've read uh, feels like it's been a month and just new stuff keeps coming out. Um, but some of my favorite stories that I've read about Muhammad Ali uh, since his passing, I posted them on HoffmanShow.com, so you can check out that. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you so much to Nancy Lieberman. What a storyteller and, and what a life she's had um, inspired in massive part to Muhammad Ali or by Muhammad Ali. Uh, thanks for listening, and I'll see you Friday for a, a regular edition of The Hoffman Show.